There are so many amazing free plugins available for download right now to help you with your production and mixing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash plugins to download and get access to a bunch of free and premium plugins on Plugin Boutique. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Back to the Mix of Music podcast. I'm your host DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host Leviticus Lou. Somebody educate me on uh, the Bible. I think Leviticus is the book of Levi- Leviticus. If I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head, um, Old Testament, and it's mostly just it's mostly just. Uh, <laughs> Like genealogy, like this is the son of this person. This is so the son. it's it's like a family tree. Oh, maybe it's not. Hold on, what is Leviticus? The burnt offering. Oh, maybe it was. Uh, oh man, am I wrong? Oh no, it's all the um, it's all the laws of Moses. It's a bunch of law laws of Moses. That's what it was. I mean, it's kind of funny that I saw the one that's like just the Yeah, it's sin Laws of Moses. Sorry, not that's not it's not, I'm thinking of a different book. It's the original the OG Laws of Moses. Anyway, um So am I a little just, more interesting than Boring? Am I or am I the rule book? You're important to only a small percentage of the population. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's that sounds Still sort of accurate. <laughs> that still sounds sort of accurate. Damn. All right. Well, that's funny. Leviticus that's, loose sticks. That's funny intro to the episode. Anyway, um, this episode of the podcast, we want to talk a little bit about specifically hybrid mixing workflows and what that means and why we like it, why we don't like it. Um, Lou and I have done both. What is hybrid mixing, Lou? Let's uh, talk about that. Basically... Utilizing uh, in-the-box tools as much as possible and still incorporating out-of-the-box tools like uh, analog compressors, EQs, uh, 
could be a limiter, saturation, could be many things. Um, but as long as you're running an output from your interface into a piece of hardware and then back into your interface and you're using that outboard piece to process the sound in any kind of way, you have now entered into the realm of hybrid mixing. So it's not fully analog. So people think the analog, fully analog is... Like a tape machine in a console. Yeah, that's what it is. So it's yeah. literally just recording into an into a console and back onto a tape machine. So if you use a computer, it's not. It's it's hybrid. It's yeah. technically hybrid workflow. Now, um, people love using hybrid workflows because analog, a fully analog workflow, is fairly tedious. I mean, just yeah. just tape in general. Using tape is probably one of the most difficult and annoying. You have to bias the machine. You have to cut the tape. Doing edits, you know. I'm not gonna lie, a nerd like me would actually enjoy that process, but that's that I'm I'm once again I'm that's relevant to a very small percentage of the world. But that's like your interest in tape machines, not necessarily your yeah. interest in the music. So it's like yeah, exactly. it feels different. It's very different. Anyway, um the the thing with uh going fully analog as well, I mean there were some good things like uh with consoles you had headphone mixes that were a lot easier to achieve. Yeah. I mean it forces you to perform a better the mix use of your financial you one shot, uh, budget. Yeah. But you know, versus uh now where you can take your time, it's, it's precious not time. Very and, efficient, and, uh, nor is I mean with a tape, there's only so many uh, very, times you can re record over it before you start losing fidelity. Tape yeah. the tape itself costs so much too. Yeah. It's it's a uh, much cheaper, higher fidelity, like in every single way the using Pro Tools. Of committing on the spot is the extreme reality. Yeah, the concept of just any sort of use of a computer software is superior in every way. There's not a yeah. single way. I mean, uh, as far as like practicality goes. Hey man, I don't get to touch every single knob on my plugins physically. And no. that is detrimental to my sound. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I mean, there, you get lose the tactility of it, and then you also lose the imperfections of analog, yeah. which the imperfections, uh, to put it in perspective, like um, there was a time in the 90s where TV went from like 30 frames per second to like 60 frames per second. I don't know if you remember that, but it started looking real, like hyper realistic. Yeah. And it like people were like, we don't like it. And then they put it back down to 30. And even in film, like in movies, it's 24 frames per second. So like they had the opportunity to use a higher frame rate due to technological mm. advances, but they did it. And they're like, we actually don't like it as much. Let's keep it at 30. Let's keep yeah. it at the lower fidelity. If you have an iPhone and you have that, uh, that uh, frame rate setting uh, switch, you know, 30 or 60 frames per second, um, 60 while I'm actively holding it, and walking around recording something at 60 frames per second feels like I'm in like some really made up VR thing. It doesn't even feel real. Yeah, it doesn't feel real. Exactly. Yeah. That's the point. So I think that's kind of like, um, with, uh, with analog gear, that's kind of what it is. You're kind of bringing back that, that technological imperfection that you want. It's a diversity in sound, not just like compared to plugins, but diversity of sound, even within the same box. Like you yeah. never, there's a part of like, you never really know what you're going to get and it's hard to kind of figure it out. There's a bit of randomness to it, which makes it fun and exciting. And there's and also a huge price tag, a really big price tag. Yeah. Which, uh, which is why, Again, one of the reasons why in in the box is superior. The reason um, what I'm not what we're not doing on this episode is we're not bagging on in the box. We're not trash talking in the box, but we're going to talk about um, what what I 
don't want people thinking is that I don't want people thinking that they're unable to make the best mixes, the best songs possible because they don't have access to this gear. It's, it's surprising even after years of doing this podcast and me basically talking a little bit about this, like people still consistently think that just because they don't have a 1073 into a CL1B, like some sort of outboard gear, they're unable to get a professional sound or professional tone. Um, and that's that's just FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. Yeah, it's just FOMO. It's not a real thing. Yeah. So, um, like, if you buy something, you should try it out first and see if you genuinely actually like it. There's been many pieces of gear that are on the market that were really popular for a time, and now they're considered shit and compared to other things. And then some pieces that were overlooked are considered to be like some of the coolest pieces you can have now because they had like a certain vibe, a certain character, and they were the cheap ones that nobody really cared because they didn't have that massive price tag associated. Like the Orbits are a good example of this. Orbits. Yeah, you know the old blue uh, like EQs and compressors? Some people will have them in their studio. Um, if we look them up, I, uh, like Orbit Compression, uh, maybe it's not called Orbit or Orbon or something like Or something. Orbital? No. No. But um, you find them on Craigslist, on Reverb all the time, and then you see them in some studios. And what's cool is, like, some people were claiming, like, oh, these were designed by, like, so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And, like, they weren't really appreciated at their time, but now they're, like, Orban. That's what it's called. O-R-B-A-N. Um, like, they were, like, really underappreciated at their time because they weren't really, like, super expensive pieces of gear. But uh, Orban EQ. How about B-A-N? B-A-N, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys. I'm sure you've seen them around. Like, they make a bunch of different units. They were like the warm audio of back in the day, almost. Huh, yeah. But, yeah. like, some people praise them. Some people are like, oh, those were the cheap units from back in the day. But some people just flat out say, like, hey, these have a vibe and we like them. You know, so don't don't worry about these price tag things. Forget about the brand name because at the end of the day, a lot of times you're just losing the marketing. Um, but... You know, if you want something really cool, chances are you can find some over, uh, some older overlooked pieces that if you talk to some people that have been around, you know, they they sound great. Like uh, HHB, I think it's called Radius 40 is like their tube equalizer. And uh, people like Steve Vai's engineers, like his mixing engineer uses them all the time for his guitars and stuff. So like units like that are only like three, four hundred bucks, you know, and they're used by some of the biggest names in the industry. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, we're going to talk about hyper workflows. First off, I want to uh, I want to preface all this conversation with um, again going back to this. We're not trying to make you feel insecure, feel like you're missing out. Yeah, uh, we're here to help you feel better about your craft, help you feel more confident, help you release more music, help you. Um, yeah, well, if you're an artist or producer, release more music. If you're a mixer, help you get through more mixes, make more money. And there's a part of this where. When we talk about this sort of stuff, yes, like there may be a small difference. Um, and sometimes it's less than small, but there are things where, and when it comes to a world of doing this for work, there is one thing that you need to consider. And this is the first topic that we want to talk about, which is anytime that you go out of the box, you go into an analog domain in one way or another, it's going to make your projects take longer. It's significantly less efficient. Yeah. That, that is something that you will have to consider. 
Yeah, if you're professionally mixing for a living and you're paid per project and things of that nature, let's let's say that you're in a studio or you're paid by the hour. Fine, whatever, you're by the hour. Most cases, that's not the case. You know, most, most uh, professional mixing engineers are paid by the project, and the longer they take on a project, the less they technically make per hour. Um, less opportunities they have per day to bring in more income. But... Um, if you're going out of the box, you're actually now dedicating a certain amount of time to, let's say you have a patch bay and not everything's always fixed in a specific patch. Let's say you're not using one of those like flock, uh, you know, virtual patch bay things that they got. Um, cool. Don't forget that you also have to do recalls, which means that if you need to edit something that you didn't really like, but you want to run it through the same gear, you now need to remember what settings they were or else you're going to spend time trying to match the tone and vibe of, let's say, the compressor. Let's say that there was an EQ on that compressor, uh, like some of the, the why am I blanking so much, Tegler stuff. Um, if you did not note your settings, now you're wasting time trying to rematch what you were doing. And you're just losing money at that point. And th that goes down to the workflow, not to the value of the piece. Yeah, so you have to wonder, like as a mixer, first off, we kind of understand standard-wise, the standard industry standard is to charge per song. Um, most people at a higher level are not charging per hour. That's a very rare scenario. Um, so when you're a mixer and you're charging per song, you are not enticed to basically the faster you get a project done, the more money you make per hour. Now, if you have a lot of projects backed up, uh, for example, it's not weird for us to have like a couple albums in the pipeline and we need to go through like through 20 plus songs in two um, weeks, in two weeks. Yeah. For example. Yeah. Right. And if that's the case, uh, I can't be tweaking this compressor or this stuff in the box is just going to be significantly faster. And if I have to keep doing recalls and I have to keep, uh, doing revisions, um, remembering what sessions, what, what piece I'm going through for what, if I have a patch bay, then remembering which ones I've patched in, which, where the inserts are at, um, it all just eats into your profits and your profit margin. Now, if you're the type of mixer you where you only mix like one song a month. I mean, for sure. Then you can take your time on it. You just want it. The goal is to make it sound as good as possible. Maybe you're not even a mixer. Maybe you're the artist that actually edits their own music and you like the sound of your vocals through certain pieces. There you go. We get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like sometimes making more money per hour is not a big deal. But um, after a certain point, you're going to be too busy and and you cannot afford to spend more time on any particular song. Yeah. Now, there are ways. I mean, hybrid is is um, there are ways to make it a little bit faster, something like a flock audio where it's like automatically switching or like digitally controlled analog pieces like from Tegler or from West Audio, Better Maker, um, things of that nature. But you still have to either print, slow print, or commit, which is not just, um, you think that doing a revision is just, uh, oh, you have to wait another two, three minutes. But if you have to print stems and, like, and all your alt bounces, yeah. you're spending literally potentially a couple hours longer each time that you have to rebounce everything, especially if you're bouncing stems through an analog piece. That's why I never leave those inserts in a session. I immediately commit every time just to avoid all that. And that's that's the thing. If you, th This is probably the most underrated thing that you need to put into your head if you're going to do hybrid, which is you have to learn to commit. You have to learn to commit and be confident in what you're doing and really know that what you're doing is what your client's going to enjoy. 
because if you get asked to change something or they're like, oh, I don't really like the way the compressor is hitting on my vocals and that outboard piece was a compressor, now you have to revert back to the original. Another thing, too, is we need to talk about recording, where recording is a different thing. You are getting paid per hour, and yeah. oftentimes I do think analog equipment in the recording stage is not necessary, but it is useful. Yeah, it can definitely help shape the sound you know, a little bit so that you can mix it faster you you get from point a to b faster yeah so in this case like in a recording setting something like a console not a tape not a tape machine mm. but something like a console or uh, analog equipment can actually make you more efficient and save you time yeah. in the mixing stage it is hard to say that but in the recording stage you could argue that um, it does help out and it's not a total waste of time now on that note um there are times i think recently i'm coming back out of it but uh, you know, a few months ago, I was really in the zone of just using a ton of hardware every single mix. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then every single time, I do this up and down thing where like mm. I have like a couple months where I'm using it on every single mix. I mix. I love it. I love it. And then I go completely back in the box for a few months. And then I come back out of my shell and I go up and down. Um, that's like one of the things that you have to figure out as well. Is like yeah. The thing is, like, I I love the sound of it, but it also I cannot deny that it just feels cool to use it. Yeah, like it feels like I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie; it's, it's kind of funny because uh, obviously, when I got my office outside of the studio, it was mainly because the studio was getting so busy that I just didn't have access to do my work, and it was starting to put me behind schedule to not have my own space again. Um, so the funny thing is, like, I was kind of intentionally forced uh completely in the box for like a year year and a half recently there's been some pieces in my office and stuff and uh even with that like i've maybe done one mix with like a hybrid workflow but it went immediately back to my commit notion of like i'm just gonna print it and forget that i ever used the piece but i don't know if there's a placebo effect happening oh, at the same time because sometimes you hear it and you're like oh it's different it's better it's like not really because uh i remember for we just one did of the it right lessons, now we yeah, just did it right yeah. now yeah well go. i like what it did for the vocals for the low end you know i was able to like for the actual master i was able to like actually do some other things that helped the low end but like for certain things, you have to look at the piece just like you look at a plugin. Not every plugin is going to work out. Not every piece is going to work out. But at least with a plugin, you spent maybe two hundred bucks on it versus two thousand on a piece of hardware and the converters and the cables. There, yeah, there is. I will say though, because of that specific issue, like this happens way too often. This even happened with a bunch of like really highly renowned friends in a really nice room mm -hmm. where they were like test a being a plugin. And it turned out it was bypassed the entire time. Oh my God. And I was the only one in the room and you know, these people, <laughs> these were like high level engineers that we really respect. Oh my God. And I was the only one in the room who had the balls to admit, I can't hear a difference. So one of my friends got a job like that. Um, uh, the studio doesn't exist anymore, but like he got tied in with a really lot of good people. So he's he's still doing fine now. But um, there was a bunch of like veteran engineers, like people who did like Motley Crew and everybody. So like he he's learning from like some of the people we well at least I grew up listening to. Um, and he was uh, the 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 engineer for Alice Cooper. Uh, was telling me a story about how his assistant, this guy. Um, 
he was like, you know, we were testing out these things and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, that sounds great. This sounds great. And we're in a room with like 10 other like engineers. Apparently Chris Lloyd Algae was in the room too. And he just like spoke up and he's like, actually, that one sounds like shit. And then everybody in the room starts listening. They're like, actually, he's right. It does sound like shit. <laughs> like he got a job because he was the only one to point out the issue. <laughs> yeah. In a room full of people that everybody was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds great. It's like, nope. No, listen to this issue. This, yeah. That's the issue right there. <laughs> being able to being able to properly articulate it and like knowing I, I do think that we did an episode before about how sometimes it feels the music entire music industry, especially audio engineers, it can feel like a big like dick measuring competition. Oh no, for sure. We did, we did an episode sure. about that. I don't know yeah. if you I don't know if that was a solo one or if you were there for that. But anyway. You, no, but it, it, I I can I can agree to it to the point where like recently I made a post because like somebody was asking me they're like bro like your studio looks so good like that if i if my studio uh looked like yours i bet you i could book more people and like it it, it like kind of irked me a little bit because i was like dude that self-confidence is why you're not getting work so it's not it's not the gear that's not getting you work that you could argue that in, on a, a very basic level but it usually doesn't amount to anything the reason why we're bringing this up is because we want anybody listening right now to avoid this again FOMO. the fomo of it um, and, and not really realizing. So the problem, one of the things that another engineer friend of mine brought up is like, one of the problems with buying analog gear is that if you spend good money on this piece, then you're going to feel like you have to use it on every mix, Yeah, which is oftentimes not the right decision. So yeah. like it affects you from a psychological level as well. Yeah. So it's better to get really good at your tools. What is it? Because even, uh, even the pros, like honestly, even high level pros that are doing, like even high level pros oftentimes get confused and are affected by that placebo, right? Yeah. They're just like, they think something is happening, but it was bypassed the whole time or it's not, it's only different. It's not better. Yeah. But they just kind of misconstrue. So it's like, this happens at a, this is not just a lower level thing. Like this happens yeah. across the board. Like for me, it's always going to be compression where I feel a little bit more forgived going outside of the box. But I think it's just like, some days I'm like, okay, I've heard the plugin, I've heard the real unit. I I think I just like the real unit because it's confirmation bias. Hey, that's another thing. Too. I it own it, so of- yeah, I own it, so it's got to be better, right? And some days I have to like sit there and be like, fuck it, I'm not gonna overthink this. I'm just gonna print it. If it's not better, it still sounds good. Period. And that to be said the same about the plugin because uh, one good example is the the Fatso Junior that you had uh, where you played with it for a bit and you're like I actually can't justify keeping this like the pl- I could do this with a plugin. In fact, I could do it better with the plugin cuz yeah. it like automatically matches input and, and outputs. And that's like a it's like what 2 two and a half grand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like if if you can keep that state of mind of like I bought it but it's not actually doing anything that's an, any beneficial. I did the same thing with the dangerous where like I was trying out new converters and I was like eh, it sounds cool and we tried the emphasis knob on it it sounded cool and it's not to say that it wasn't a good unit it just wasn't the right unit for me and you have to be able to at least acknowledge that if you buy a tube tech and the tube tech doesn't do the thing you're hoping it does you should return it yeah granted yeah you could do a little bit of you should always test out the gear that you want to get you should always make sure that you confirm that it does you do like the sound of it it is useful I'm hyper picky when it comes to analog gear so when we when we were sponsored by Tegler last month I mean I have three pieces of Tegler gear on my desk. Um, one of them is packed up right now, but I have three pieces of Tegler I was about to gear. say, where? And um, and I love them. Like, I really do think that you get a big bang for your buck on these. Um, 
there. So when I say that I like something, like I, another one that I talk about is like the Comp 2A from uh, Golden Age Audio, which is like an affordable yeah. LA 2A. I think it's cheaper than the Warm Audio one. Yeah, um, it is. I think by like a hundred bucks. So good. It yeah. sounds so stinking good. Like I'm not gonna lie. At first, when you got them, uh, there was that elitism price point kind of thing that was in my head where I'm like, it's only like six, seven hundred bucks. Like, how good could it be? It might just be as good as the warm audio stuff. And I, I know warm audio can be good on some pieces, but I've also heard some bad pieces. And I think I might have owned like an early days bad unit to where like my bias is also like I had a unit that was noisy. So maybe not all units are noisy like the one that I had. But with that said, once I heard it, I was like, actually, this sounds really fucking good. And it's only like six, seven hundred bucks. Like, I kind of want to try the LA3A one now because I love LA3As, but there's no way I can afford a $3,000 LA3A. And like, well, hold I think on. I, I can afford them. Now. Yeah, I think well, it's for like- a vintage one. Uh, yeah, like they're like six, seven thousand dollars for like a vintage one, and if you get a modern LA three A kind of thing or like a reserviced one, you can find them for like three grand. But it's like I'm okay with what the UA plugin version of it does. But now that I've heard the LA two A from uh, Golden Age, I'm curious to try their LA three A and see it, even if it's like a vibe difference or if the plugin is still going to be just as good. Like I'm just, it's got me curious, but not like I have to buy it now. It's got to be better. Yeah, there's um one of the things for me that changes is saturation, um like or or like extreme levels of compression. I think like the first mm-hmm. five to ten dBs of compression and plugin is always going to be just as good. I think it's like almost always the same, yeah. unless it's like bad coding or something like that. But like after ten dBs, like an extreme level of compression, like really pushing analog gear, mm-hmm. it breaks up in a specific way that is like really random and chaotic. Yeah, and I and I think it sounds great. The thing that I always like, I know what is his name? He does the snake oil videos. Like, is the White plugin, C Studios? Yeah, he like is the plugin actually doing what it's doing? And what I love about those videos is like, um. Sometimes I wonder if it's actually doing, and it's nice confirmation when it does. And then sometimes it's like, oh, it's actually doing something different. It was coded wrong or something, or like it might just be one of those things where it was placebo. It, it was yeah, just really was good marketing. Oil. But because of that, it's it's not just plugins that you could lose to marketing on. Another reason why I don't like the concept of outboard gear and hybrid mixing is because I think the one group of people that shouldn't be susceptible to marketing is the audio engineering like, and like music. the working professionals the working class the yeah. working class audio professionals yeah. because we don't make half as much money as other industries as an industry yeah. which is not like versus you doing becoming like a coder or a tech guy or a doctor yeah. right so it's like why are you thinking about how to spend your money when you could be doing this all with your laptop as long as you have a good yeah. running laptop you know or like a computer of any kind I, so I, I still, just I just think it's like it's really really low blow like you shouldn't be doing that to us. So I still think like some of the the best mixes people have done have always come from like the most unexpected, most like under I guess qualified situations if that makes sense. So like Leslie Brathway mixed what Cardi record in the trunk of his truck? WAP, yeah. WAP. WAP was mixed in a truck. Yeah. That's like 
Hell and, yeah. Uh, Low like key. Hell Pharrell, yeah. I think like a Pharrell record was mixed in there too. But see, that's my point. Like that's very hell yeah of a moment versus like, oh yeah, I ran the vocals through a CL1B. I could give a shit. This man mixed WAP in the back of a truck. Also, um, like he's, how how much cooler is it to say that? He's fully in the box. Oh, uh, Tumay booked an Uber and just said, hey, plug my laptop in and mix a record from the back of the Uber. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. you just drive around, I'll pay you for your time. Yeah. Drive around, I'll oh, need to mix this. Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't have a car in New York. Yeah, there's like stuff like that that, that happens. Um, it's really interesting. The point is, okay, so going back to the hybrid mixing, going back to the original thesis here. Um, is hybrid mixing good? Um, it, it's good and it's fun. I think the biggest value is two things. Fun. is Well, one is fun. I think it's fun to get your hands on it. Yeah. Um, I think the second Pause. thing is like tax write-offs. Yeah. That's like a huge thing. Um, but that doesn't matter unless you're making an income from a business. Yeah. Um, I do think it's fun. And so that's why I like if, if you're an enthusiast or if you're um, not a professional, you're a hobbyist or an enthusiast, like go for it. I think that's a great idea. But as someone that is trying to make money from it, I think until you make enough money where you have to have tax write-offs to avoid paying taxes, like don't get analog. Yeah. Here. And like, even then, it's necessary. if you can afford it or you're in a stage where it'd be a good idea, talk to a consultant about your finances, about how much you're making. If you don't know what you should be saving or putting to the side or how you should plan it, they'll let you know, hey, you should consider having X amount of write-offs to help you out. Yeah. You know, and then you can budget from there. As again, this is specifically for mixing. As a recording engineer, it's different. As a studio owner, it's different. Yeah. But if you are trying to be a mixer, a paid um, mixer, you should never, and especially this is important, you should never, ever, ever, ever go into debt, yeah. especially unsafe, stupid debt. Yeah. Uh, for pieces of gear to use for mixing because your income does not go up based on how much gear you have. And if it's, it does, it's usually not clients. Those are customers. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's red it's, flags. Yeah. We've talked about this in the past, but it's it's, it's not it's a the good opposite sign. way. People that get a lot of clients and do well have enough money to write tax do tax write-offs with analog gear so they get it after they do well. It's yeah. not it's not you get them and then they start doing well. It's yeah. the opposite of what most people immediately Yeah, what is it? Uh, if you build it, they will come. But it's not uh, I'm I'm just gonna be honest with you. That doesn't work in the music industry. It doesn't. Like maybe a venue. If you're a venue owner, sure. You know, you can't throw concerts without the venue, sure. But uh, we're we're talking mixing, and majority of major mixers nowadays are working from home in their working garage, their, an extra bedroom. Um, I'm just saying, like Tizio's working from home, Jesse Ray Ernstone's working from home, Leslie Brathwaite's working from home. Like some of the biggest names working with the biggest names are working from home. They only go to the studio if they absolutely have to. And also, uh, well, hold on. Other than Tizio, the people that you named are also family men. Too, yeah. Yeah. With kids. Hey, man. This is are what you telling like, me I got to have a kid to be successful? Yeah, I am. I am pressuring you. Good. No, um, Good. I'm going to call Anna right now. I will, I, will say, I will say, though, that like uh, that is the one thing I'm grateful about mixing, though, is like this is one of the few things in the music industry where I can like be read, at home. read books, be at home, spend yeah. time with the family. You know, I can do that while doing the cool thing of doing working on music. Yeah. There's very few other parts of this industry where you that's open to that. Yeah, I got. I'm not gonna lie. I got offered um, a recording gig for uh, for an artist. Like, I'm not gonna say names because it's not. I don't. I don't want it to sound like shade of like saying no because they couldn't meet whatever. But I told them like 
I would only record and become a personal recording engineer if you paid me like 15 grand a month. Like, that's the only way I'm saying yes. And they kind of got insulted. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I really enjoy my piece right now. And it's, I need six figures. Well, for you don't me want to, to insult people, but like that wasn't your intention. It wasn't my intention. It was just like, hey, I'd, I would be happy to mix for you, master for you. I'd be happy to help you get your files in order and kind of organize sessions from you remotely. And like, he got upset over only $1,500 a month? Fifteen grand. Oh, 15 grand. I'm yeah. Like, okay, if I'm going to become somebody's personal engineer um, and I have to dedicate 12 hours a day, five days a week, and they want overnights, I'm I'm sorry. I I would rather be with my family. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not to be mean or anything. It's just mixing is and mastering is one of the few sides of this industry where they don't always have to be near you. And in fact, the higher you go, the less likely it is they're ever there. Yeah. Like if you're really good, you are not the problem. You are not an issue. They don't have to check in on you. They don't have to stand over your shoulder. You are the man or the girl or however you want to be. You are them. You are they. <laughs> Thanks, Lou, for being <laughs> inclusive. All right. Uh, so I do think um, the last thing that I want to talk about is is when it comes down to, we did an episode a couple weeks ago about delivering stems mm -hmm. and um, alt mixes, which I've gotten a lot of positive responses. People didn't realize that they should be doing that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. We've been getting messages for that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like really good that you should be future-proofing your deliverables. I mean, it's just really good practical advice. I can't believe we haven't talked about it. It's taken us 250-plus episodes <laughs> to talk about it. Three-plus um, years. Yeah, and then... Um, but uh, on that note, like if you use any sort of hybrid workflow, especially if you work on, oh, on uh, a master like bus, oh. master bus or mix or any sort of bus, right? If you use a VCA compressor on a bus or some sort of EQ on a bus, individual tracks, you can do what Lou does, which or what we, Lou talked about earlier, which is you can commit the track in most DAWs, freeze yeah. it or commit it, and in real time bounces it through, so it has the audio file going through the gear. That's a really good idea. You should be doing that every single time. But if you use it on any sort of busing or mix bus, you have to print manually you have to print online every single time yeah. and if they ask for revisions you have to do all the stems going through all the analog pieces of gear every single time there's a revision oh man and that is that's just like especially when you're on a crunch this this does happen i yeah. mean these labels that are paying you know potentially thousand dollars per song um they're partially paying it because they're also aware that they might they're, they're trying not to, but they might ask you for a revision when the song's coming out in 30 minutes and they send you the files 20 minutes, like 30 minutes before the song is supposed to come out. Yeah. And they need a revision right now. Yeah, that I kid you not, that actually recently happened. I had to master a song that the mixer told me. He's like, I mixed it like a year and a half ago. And then they told me they're finally going to release it. And then they asked for a revision. I was like, a year and a half later. No. I'm not going to remember any settings or what piece of gear I used at that moment. I have a really proud moment. I have a mm -hmm. really proud one. Mm -hmm. I have a guy that I worked on this project five years ago. Uh -huh. I had it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I had it. I was. Uh, I, mean, I charged him for it, like an yeah. archive retrieval fee or whatever I called him. Yeah. I mean, like, it, like uh, I charged him for it, but um, yeah, dude, I, I was able to find the files and do the bounces for him. And because yeah. it was all in the box, it was no issue. Yeah, I got a call the other day. Um, somebody was looking for files from the studio computer. Um, I asked them when they recorded it. It was about like seven months ago. And I was like, okay, um, that computer was put out of commission for a little bit. Um, I'm going to have to go to our storage unit and dig it up and everything. Um, 
when do you need to buy? They're like, oh, how soon can we get it? I'm like, uh, we're going to have to send somebody out. Like, we'll, we'll have to figure it out. They're like, oh, uh, you can take your time on it. I'm like, is it important? They're like, no. I'm like, why are you calling then? <laughs> yeah, I um, I do, I do tell people like straight up if, when they yeah. call when they do ask like, hey, I can do, I can look for you, but I will say that if I find it, if you still want me to bounce it out, it is this much per yeah. song for yeah. like an archive yeah, retrieval. I, I let Especially them if know, it's like I'm a like, couple years old. I let them know I'm like I'm gonna have to dig through hard drives and everything. Like there's there's been a various backup. So like if we do find it, there's gonna be a fee. They're like, oh well, it's not that important. I'm like, it was important for the call, but not to actually want the files yeah weird <laughs> yeah that is weird so anyway that is something to be thinking yeah. about um don't be tripping if you don't have it especially if you're yeah. mixing um especially if you're trying to mix for a career again i honestly think that this is one of the best career choices as far as like uh for sustainability as far as like for building a family and like doing what you want um, yeah i think this is one of the best ones i'm really grateful that i get to do this um it's extremely difficult it's really hard yeah, really there's yeah, there's literally going to be times when you're completely overflowed on work, and there's going to be times where it's slow, and that's cool. But uh, it's one of those where it's like, honestly speaking, if you get to hang out with cool people, which are usually many times like creatives, uh, you get to meet different uh, types of people in our industry, like management and everything, that are making sure that these projects are getting done for these creatives and everything. So you get to meet like such a wide range of people, but when you actually get to a certain point with like mixing and mastering where like, yo, these people are just calling you, they're hitting you up. They're like, yo, I like your work. Can you do some more? You get to do it on your own time and everything. But if you really enjoy having time to do the things you enjoy outside of this, like other hobbies, efficiency is kind of going to become a topic that becomes really important to you. Dude, I will say though, like nine out of 10 times, mm -hmm. the reason why I get referred or the reason why most people get referred or something they do well in the industry is it's not because of how their mixes sound, which I, it's, it's baseline. It's going to be good. It, it sounds counterintuitive. We yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. But it's mostly because you can get shit done. Like yeah. you are able to perform under pressure. You are, you are consistent. You show up to yep. meetings on times. Like those, those basic um, being responsible in a in a world and an industry filled with people having mental breakdowns every single yeah. day and being really chaotically creative, like you stand out. And yeah. the line has never like the threshold to do well in this industry has or and, and to be a to be a not this is not just this industry, but to be a functioning human being, a functioning adult, mm -hmm. the line has never been lower. Yeah. It's like it's pretty insane. Like you do things that you know you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And you will succeed very, very well. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Um, I spoke with a friend of mine. He, like, manages and develops artists, basically. Like, um, he's had, like, some successes. And obviously not always is it going to be a success. But one thing that he did communicate is... Um, there is, like, this messed up notion of, like, if they used to be athletes, it's it's a better artist to manage because they have a sense of okay, sometimes you got to take direction. There's a coach in play. Um, sure. They're able to be coached, yeah. Exactly. But um, part of this is like they also want to know that the people that they surround them with also know when to say that something's off, just like in a team. If you're the coach, you should also have a team captain, somebody that's within the team that you know you can trust to make sure everybody's good with. You kind of want to have a team captain mentality if you're kind of starting out. Like you may not be the most important person in the circle, and most likely if you're an engineer, you're not the most important person ever. 
But if you're looking to develop a career, something is there's something to be said about those that know how to just communicate efficiently, keep everybody on target. And that also means keeping yourself on target, because if they can see you as a leader role, they might give you more opportunities with bigger names because they see you as somebody that's like, okay, they've kind of outgrown this team. Let's put them in a bigger team. They've outgrown this team. Let's put them in a bigger team. So, I mean, talking about staying on target is that's the entire point of this conversation with hybrid workflows is that if, if at all you find it to be distracting, like don't be afraid to go completely in the box yeah. and just avoid it. I mean, most people, I feel like most people are in a situation where they have to be in the box, you know, cause it's, yeah. it's difficult to afford this stuff. Um, but don't feel like you're missing out if that's the situation. And if you get it, don't feel like you have to use it because at the end of the day, being on target, being reliable, being able to hit the mark, being able to be, um, on time with your sessions, I've, I've repeated that, but it's significantly more important than yeah. having the right type of saturation from an analog piece. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, here's the God honest truth. Yeah. Anybody that says that they can tell that they mix, you mixed your record analog uh, is a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anybody who says, oh, it's so warm, I can tell that you mixed analog is a fucking liar. I'm okay. not gonna lie. I, I don't know if I should say it. Should I say it a third time so it's very clear? Hold on. I'll say it like this. If you ever want to be respected in this industry, don't ever speak in that nature with a sense of absolutes. It, anybody that speaks in absolutes usually doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Usually. Wow, Lou, this mix sounds like you mixed it in hybrid. Did you compress the vocals with an 1176 at a 7 release and a 3 attack? No, and a I four didn't. To one ratio? But that was a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> like, somebody told me that um, they can tell when drums were bus compressed uh, 6 to 1 because it's the most common thing. And I was like... Okay, there's one thing like hearing trends of like styles of compression, but to say that you could hear that it's six to one is kind of a weird one. Yeah, that's so it's so strange. Yeah, it's so strange. No, but, like uh, you should be able to tell like this is a fast compressor versus a slow compressor or like whatever. Yeah, you know or, what's like, funny though, like I like it or I don't like it. That's that's another way you can word it. But weird, like I can tell what it is. That's wild. The weird fun fact is like the same person that uh, spoke in such absolutes. Uh, somebody else told me that they showed him, he showed him uh, one of his own mixes, um, like the speakers and everything. And they're like, you know, it's funny because it's like a cover song, even though it's the same original artist, but the mix even sounds worse too. <laughs> so it was that's one of those, wild. like the same guy making these claims also couldn't get the mix, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I will say um, uh, there, I mean, in an AB scenario, and this is the problem mm. is that like, when you go, like, for example, Warm Audio just released their CL1B, which looks really cool. It's oh, very yeah. interesting. And then you hear the A-B comparison test, um, and it's not even close. No. Um, so I know that we've talked shit on the CL1B before, but I think it's just because it's so popular. But it made me realize how much I actually like the CL1B when we did the comparison, yeah. uh, when they did the comparison video. In the context when you're A-Bing it. Mm-hmm. One is obviously going to be better than another. Or yeah. not obviously. It's going to be better than the other. Yeah. When uh, you listen to a song or listen to a mix, there's no A-B comparison. No. There's no like, oh, Taylor Swift just released a new album and she gave us the B tracks too. Yeah, where like somebody else mixed it. Oh, I like uh, the B mixes better. Yeah. Actually, that would be That would be really interesting. I'm not going to lie. That would be like a cool like um social experiment album. 
So there are a few mixes out there, including um, if you look, if you really deep dive search, like we talked about, like there's one with Serban Ganea mixed it versus somebody else mixed it. Oh, there's like before and afters of like Mandy yeah, America. Yeah. Like yeah. there's before and afters for a bunch of these. You got a deep deep dive, but um, yeah. In comparison, you'll yeah. first off you'll be surprised how little it changes and for all these yeah. bigger tier artists or these bigger tier mixers. Um, and then also like um, it's really interesting that. You can only tell that it was better. One was better than the other when you A, B it. Because they both yeah. sound good by themselves. There, it was kind of funny because like, I remember getting a note from one of the students at the last master class I taught saying, he's like, I didn't expect there to be so much saturation use for like tone shifting and everything. Like You didn't really pull up any compressors or EQs for the most part. I was like, oh, yeah, because you know, the tracks were already good. And that's kind of the funny thing. Like when you're at that bigger level, you're also dealing with producers that can get from point A to B much faster, which means they have better source of uh, sounds, whether that be like better samples or they hire musicians with really great gear and really great chops, which means less editing and correcting or tone shifting to, to get to the sound that they were after right away. So a lot of times when they turn it in, they're looking for a quick turnaround. And a lot of mixers also have there it's not weird to say that a mixer is a fan of a producer and wants to work with the producer because they're like dude this guy's productions are so great even the way they send them already sounds almost mixed like sometimes i don't even know what to do with it you know some people just g deliver such a great product from the get-go that the mixer's job isn't necessarily to revolutionize the wheel it's to really just round off some rough, rough edges, really just rebalance it the way it needs to be, touch the vocals and automate them a little bit. But then like you're like, they were so close. They were so close already. And I think that's like why like if you FOMO and buy gear because you're like, I need to have the CL1B, you're forgetting that they likely recorded it through the CL1B. So doubling up the CL1B maybe honestly isn't the actual goal. Yeah, for a mixing for yeah. a mixing workflow. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of it for this episode. Um, we want to encourage everybody to do their best. Uh, we want to remove um, excuses. Like we want to make sure that it is a hundred percent within your control. I mean, yeah. that's a really positive way of looking at life. Like, don't be scared. Don't don't let fear motivate your purchase. Yeah. Don't let FOMO feel like you're. you're don't feel uh, insecure about it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of really great mixes, and this is another issue that I have, is that. More often, I've met great mixers who don't think that they're good enough versus people who are really awful and think that they're way better than they are. A good uh... Most people like kind of have a decent understanding of where they're at. Mm -hmm. In fact, if anything, they think they're worse than they actually are. What's funny is like Tizio, who just got nominated for, what is it, like seven Grammys? Or maybe it's like he got nominated for a few and is an association into other nominations, whatever. Uh, point is, remember when we asked him to do the master class, he said, I'd rather do it on recording because I feel like I can teach better uh, great recordings than great mixing. He still felt himself a better recording engineer than a better mixer. And then here he is, like plaque after plaque after plaque after nomination after nomination later. And like, that sense of humility still kind of exists. Even even some people at the top leagues sometimes have, uh, I guess, a confidence check going on. You know, they're they're still kind of feeling themselves out. Absolutely. So uh, I hope this episode helps. I hope that 
again, y'all can get some good mixes going on. And I really appreciate anybody that's listening. If you like this episode, if you like this podcast on Spotify, you can leave, uh, scroll down a little bit. You can actually, when you're in the episode on the player, if you swipe down or swipe up, it'll say, you want to leave a comment and you can leave a little comment, say, what's up. We do read almost every single one of those. If you have a loon name. Yeah, you can leave Lou names as well. Um, also, leave five-star review anytime that in any platform if you haven't already. We really, really appreciate that. It's a free way of helping us out. And if you'd like to be a part of more episodes, we have two exclusive episodes. So we have one free episode out every single week, and then we have two exclusive episodes out every single week mm-hmm. um, on, what is it? It's, is it Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or Wednesday, Thursday? I don't remember. Either mm-hmm. way, two, two days a week. We have exclusive episodes, and you can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive to get access to those episodes. So thank you so much for listening. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.